and welcome back to a new episode of A Woman in AI. My name is Kim Dresnerf and I'm a technical specialist for AI at IBM. Today, I'm introducing a colleague of mine, an absolute role model in the AI world. She's a senior research manager at IBM Research and focuses especially on natural language processing and information retrieval. Let's welcome Yunyao Li. Welcome, thank you so much, and welcome here to a new episode. Um, why don't we just kick it off right away and you tell us who you are and what you do? Sure, thanks so much, Kim, for the invitation. So, as you have introduced, I'm Yunyao I'm a senior research manager at IBM Research at Amazon. So my focus really on how do we enable the building of next generation of AI applications by leveraging information from text. So this runs from building the most fundamental NLP capabilities to actually building tools to enable range our, you know, wide range of users to leverage in the capability we are building. That is so interesting. And I mean, like, I love it already, but um, was it always your dream that you're gonna end up in the IBM Research Lab? Is that what you imagine? Sorry, can you say that again? And was it your, like, was it when you were a child, did you always have that oh. imagination? No, actually, <laughs> it, it's a very interesting story. So when I was a child, what I liked the most was reading. So we, I live in a very small town. We have a very small library. We have a couple of books, bookstores. So my dream job at that moment was to grow up to be a librarian, you know, so that I can read books every day <laughs> for free and I can get paid. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. That's so cool. I know. So right now, essentially, I'm teaching computer to read, right? And also, to a certain extent, you know, I'm getting paid for reading too. I'm reading a lot of papers right, every day. <laughs> so kind of like check, dream fulfilled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to a extent, yes. <laughs> Um, where did your career kind of started? Like, I saw you like studied in like kind of around the world, right? So where was like the one point in your life where you said like, okay, I'm going to go into the AI and this is what I'm going to do? I would say it's actually probably from the very beginning when I applied for college. So in, in China, the process is quite different. So when I apply for college, you know, I have to decide the school and the major to begin with, without really actually fully understanding it. So at that point of time, you know, I'm deciding between uh, automation, department of automation versus uh, computer science. Then I was thinking, okay, what's my ultimate goal here? I want to make my life easier, right? So maybe I can just use computer as a tool, but really focus on automation. So eventually I, um, you know, decided on actually pick automation out of my major, but I also took a lot of course in computer science because I always view, right, computer science provide a lot of tools for me to be able to do automation. So this is essentially what I'm doing right now, right? Leveraging all the tools in computer science and try to automate the understanding of language as much as possible. Yeah, so it's quite interesting, you know, even though at that point in time, I really don't have much understanding of computer science or automation. But because my goal of making my life and other people's life easier, I just pick they're not major. <laughs> I mean, like, thank you for that. Like, we need our lives to be easier. Um, when you think about that study, like, I mean, like, if you, especially if you talk about languages, right? I mean, like, how many languages are there? I think, like, over 7,000 different dialect languages that are existing, right? Yeah. How do you think... 
how do we teach it the right way so at the end the machine will be able to like grab that complexity right that's like the the main key yeah that's that's a great question so in order to teach a computer to understand natural language right we need to have training data like we need to have some way to communicate to the computer to say here is my understanding as a human of language and then teach computer to learn those languages to enable computer to understand as many languages as possible i would say the biggest obstacle is the training data in those languages so in nlp we often refer to language as high resource language and the low resource language. So the resource part is really not about number of people speak the language, it's about the kind of training data, the curated annotated data that we have for different NLP tasks. So for example, English is a very high resource language because you know, we have lots of research, lot of annotated data for English. But for other languages, for example, languages in India, right? Hindi, for example, even though it's spoken by many, many people, the annotated data for Hindi is very, very little. So the biggest obstacle of, you know, one of the projects we'll focus on is on cross-lingual natural language understanding is how do we leverage resources we already built for high resources languages like English mm -hmm. and automatically generate resources for low resources languages. Uh, one of the approach you can think about is we can do annotation projection. So there are a lot of uh, resources um, that are in by text. So think about, for example, Bible, right? Bible is in many, many different languages. Similarly, the other kind of text translated in more than one languages. So one way we can do it is we can create annotations, for example, English, and then project the annotation by align sentences across the languages to be able to produce some annotation for other languages. Of course, this is a very noisy process. So the difficulty is how do we identify the noise? How do we identify the part of high quality and how do we repair mistake generated during the automatic process? And also how do we introduce human in the loop? Because you know, even though we do not have a lot of uh, expertise or investment in those low resources languages, we do have a lot of speakers, right? How can we leverage the crowd to be able to help, you know, creating resources for those languages at a scale is another thing we're really working on. And then in recent years, they also work on multilingual word embedding, which basically try to do something similar that you learn the relationship of words in one language and then those words, when translating into other languages, the relationships remain quite similar, right? Mm -hmm. So you can leverage those kind of relationships as well. Yeah, so basically, we are trying to use combination of uh, automatic method and plus human loop, try to scale the building resources for other languages and models as much as possible. But it definitely is one of the challenge you know we are facing <laughs> it's, a, it's a big challenge i mean super interesting and a big big topic but yeah like even if you think about like just about the german language if you compare it with like the english language just like how we pronounce differently how we use kind of i mean like i like had the discussion lately because i'm trying to teach an, an american to 
learn German. And it's so hard because we don't have like, we, I don't think we have rules for a lot of things because we have the feminine and the masculine and neutral before every right. noun. And it's literally about memorization, like how it's yeah. pronounced. But if yeah. you try to find out like, why is it this particular part masculine, you actually like, you don't know. So you got to rely on a machine or you got to teach a machine that way, how you basically then, as you say, like it's the human in the loop mechanism that you continue to teach it the right way. And it's so difficult. It's so, so correct, correct. I think the point is really you try to automate uh, maybe 80% of the cases, right? As much as possible for all the different languages. Because one thing to think of the following, right? If we think about language, the syntactical part are definitely different, right? We have different grammar, different vocabulary. But eventually, the kind of semantics we try to express are similar, right? Because we're all human beings, right? Um, you basically, for every single thing, you want to say who did what, whom, when, where, and how, right? Yeah. There's yeah. ways you can express it in different languages, but from semantical level, it's very similar. So we actually try to leverage the fact semantics are relatively stable across languages. And then we, that's basically our starting hypothesis that we can create a cross-lingual abstraction across different languages at a semantical level. Then if we map every single language onto the same abstraction, then anything built on top of the abstraction can be cross-lingual. So that's basically one of the hypotheses we have. And based on our experiments so far, I think it seems to be very, very promising. It cannot handle every single nuances, right? But I think it can handle maybe 60 to 80% of the you know, core of every single language. That's my belief. <laughs> Fascinating. One question. Do you think a machine will at one point understand sarcasm? I think so. You know, it can. It can. It can. In fact, there's a lot of research going on in this thread. So, it, it, I mean, when we say understanding, it's not understanding the level as a human being, right? Yeah. So it understands what we define as a specific task. For example, sarcasm, when we say a machine understands sarcasm, it means that it can classify, giving a sentence, whether this is sarcasm or not. But, you know, what's the actual semantic of that sarcasm? It may not really understand. Yeah. I mean, like even humans don't understand it sometimes. So that's, yeah. like, that's like the, the funny thing, right? Definitely, right? This is why they're also lost in translation, right? Mm -hmm. So certain things, you know, you can only capture the nuances in that particular language. You know, for example, me as a non-English native speaker, right? There are a lot of things in English, you know, without a culture background, I would not understand, right? Yeah, Same. so it's I think- so hard. <laughs> <laughs> just like words, you're like, I just accept it as it was. I'm not gonna question it. Yeah, exactly. So therefore, I think our um, definition of understanding, at least for the moment, is at a much shallower level. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fascinating. It's, I mean, it's, it's so much fun. And, and I think like if you say like you started with automation, thinking about that in university, now you literally end up in the research lab of IBM, it's fascinating. It's so cool too. Like it's a true dream coming true. So I'm, I'm fascinated. Um, so when you were in university, I want to ask you a little bit, like, were you like, how was the, the male to female ratio back in, in China? Um, in China, I think it's much worse at that time than now. So for example, 
I think elementary school and the middle school is probably half half. But then when we go to high school, um, especially after the first year, after the freshman year, there is uh, some choice people need to make. Like you need to decide whether you want to go to science and engineering, like STEM field, or you want to do maybe more, um, you know, liberal art type of uh, study, right? So you kind of, you have to decide at that moment. Then at that point, most, uh, you know, girls will decide to go to liberal art for whatever reason. So I would say maybe um, 10%, maybe 10 to 15% in my class are female. And then when we went to um, college, so I went to Tsinghua University, every single class has um, like 30 students, maybe four or five in Department of Automation um, are girls. Mm -hmm. And then in some department, it's even worse. There is no zero. Zero female students. <laughs> oh God, yeah. I mean, like, for, how was that feeling for you? Just like, I'm dominating, I got this? Um, I think I kind of get, got used to it. I think I have best friends who are boys, and then I also have best friends who are girls. Um, yeah, at that point, I did not think too much. But in Tsinghua, I didn't notice one thing. Um, because, you know, there are a lot of the activities organized, right? Like, for example, for some anniversary celebration, there's some kind of performance need to happening. And then girls always need to attend because we don't have enough girls. Like, girls have more burden, you know, almost mm -hmm. like you have to do more services to the university than the boys. And then the boys also expect, you know, the girls watch them play soccer ball, basketball, um, yeah, I mean, I I love my classmates, but it, I may not want to watch them play all the time, right? <laughs> so give me a break. <laughs> wow, that that's cool. I mean, like, yeah, it's, I mean, like, same for, for my university back then, but it was Germany. Like, we were, like, 15% max women. Um, it's always, like, it's always, like, okay, like, how do you react to it, right? Like, how do you manage it? And obviously, like, you gotta fulfill some of the like stereotypes because you gotta you gotta make the quote kind of that way, right? So you gotta be there, but obviously it's a lot of pressure as well. I'm just like okay, I gotta yeah. perform and I gotta do it also for the other females coming up. So I gotta be there. I gotta be present, right? Yeah, and another thing I want to mention it's actually a very funny thing. So in our classroom, so I mentioned we have different class, right? Like then every single grade, like for example, for Department of Automation, we have five class. We take a lot of the um, courses together. So we have like a very big uh, classroom, right? Mm -hmm. And then the students always want to sit on the, in, the, in the front, right? But then the boys actually reserve, you know, some, <laughs> some slots for only the girls. Um, so I, I think they actually have been, very good gentleman, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there are, there are other complaints I have with them, but I would say most of the time they have been pretty good. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. I mean, they always like love them. <laughs> I, yeah. I make the best friends here, so I can't say anything. I love, absolutely had a blast. Um, how did it work after university? Did you just like jump into internships or did you just start it right away? Like, what happened? Yeah, so after my college, I basically decided to pursue higher education, you know, by my, my graduate school in the U.S. 
And actually, I started, unlike most students from China, I started as a master's student um, because, you know, I could not really fully decide what do I want to do, you know, whether I want to do a PhD, what, if I want to do a PhD, what topic I want to focus on. Um, so, yeah, I think maybe I have some trouble in terms of deciding on one thing because, you know, when I did my undergraduate, I did automation and later on also did a dual degree in economics because I'm also very interested uh, in the business side, right? So then the same thing happened when I decided to pursue graduate school. I couldn't decide, you know, one, one thing that I want to work on for my PhD. Uh, then I was very lucky I got a full scholarship, right, to come to University of Michigan to pursue my master's degree. There I did a master's degree in computer science and information science. In computer science, really get into the hardcore of computer science, right? But in information science, I learned a lot about information economics, uh, computer, human-computer interaction, and a little bit of psychology also. Um, I think combination of those things really uh, enabled me to find out what I like the most. I think I like the most is about the data. Like I started with the, um, data management as my PhD, but then my focus is on enable a wider range of user to leveraging information in database. So that start with, you know, enable natural language query and then enable flex query against the, a traditional database. Um, so it's kind of captured my passion so far, you know, enable people to do things as easy as possible without necessarily have to be an expert in that area. I mean, especially from a psychology base, right? There's so much we don't know about, especially when you talk about like natural language processing, how human, as you mentioned, like the human machine interaction right. is crucial because that at the end decides at coming to the business side, if, a, if this product you're going to produce is going to be good. Because yeah, I think exactly. like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, eventually, if we think about applying AI in practice, right, it's not just a compare the best model performance. There are many, many factors, right? The human side is actually the, the factor that determine whether what we build is going to be successful or not. Um, yeah, so this is part, I think, basically, I'm always interested in technology, but I don't want to work on technology in isolation because I think, you know, technology is just a tool, right? So it's a tool to make our life better. How can we do that? Uh, that's really what I'm most interested in. It's so, it's really good because like I, like, I don't know, when I, and I have meetings, I always have like the, the people who critique AI and like who think like they're going to take over all the jobs and like they're going to like literally like the movies Terminator, they're going to walk and march down the roads. And I'm like, this is not even close to what we are building, so much, <laughs> how, how it kind of function and what, at which state we are now. I mean, as you said, like we are, we are at that stage right now, we like, okay, we got to build it up. We got to figure it out. Like we are not there. Like we don't have 7,153 languages transformed, right? It's not even close to that. And especially like we don't have the machines yet to like communicate in that way to the human that it has a full blown discussion. And I mean, like, yeah, we have project debate and there's like little things, but this is still it's so hard to explain it to people that, that we're not there yet. And I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think there are two parts, right? One is um, technology is just a tool. It's how it will impact society is really up to 
how people are using it, right? So for example, if we talk about AI replacing job of human, I think in, I, in some sense it replacing certain jobs, but at the same time in creating other jobs. And also in many ways it make our life easier and better, right? So, so for example, one of the things people are always talking about is um, unconscious bias, right? Like for example, people having hard, hard problem um, identify the right job. I mean, I think it can come in many different ways. For example, there is a known phenomenon where female candidates will deny themselves when we saw when they saw you know a job posting has requirement of ten skills and then decided oh I only have eight I'm not going to apply right. So think about an AI program that actually tell you about oh maybe among the eight right only the First three is most critical, and you have those skills, and then it also tell you, right, as a female candidate, you may have this tendency to deny yourself the opportunity, right? It can help you to convince you, maybe you should go for this opportunity. So I think there are many ways um, AI or any other technology can be used in a way that is beneficial to our society and the individual. Yeah, I, I would say, it is definitely a sensational title to say AI replacing job, right? But at the same time, I think when we look into the nuances, there are lots of uh, subtlety. So think about the last uh, industrial revolution, right? There are a lot of jobs being replaced, but at the same time, a lot of jobs have been created. Um, yeah. Future of work is definitely a very important topic. Um, and it takes a lot of, uh, it, it's not a technology problem. I think it's a policy problem. It's a, social problem. I think as a society, if we work together and think about how can we leverage all the technology we have, we can definitely make it better. Um, not, and also, as you said, right, we're not there yet. It's not like machine can do everyone's job so easily, right? Yeah. So some mundane job, repetitive job, that machine may be able to help, um, but it, we're not there yet to completely replace everyone yeah. yeah absolutely and i mean like especially when you think about data right an algorithm is only as good as good as the data is so if the data is is like not right and as you mentioned with the with the female problem as well and i mean there have been some like scandals <laughs> where like they, they trained a machine algorithm and it just selected i don't know like what is it in 35 year old white male for specific jobs because the data was just like not equal like so you cannot attack the algorithm when it was just reacting based on the data and i think that that's also something especially companies need to learn they got to take care of the data and i mean like often i, I kind of face the issue like oh yeah we had that system since 30 years and it hasn't been replaced mm -hmm. and we don't actually know what kind of data is in there but we don't want to touch it and i think like if you kind of have like that mindset right if you don't if you aren't open to like say like okay like we have some issues here um, right, right. it won't be a good algorithm at the end yeah yeah it's faster it's, it's like a never-ending topic if you talk about bias right <laughs> especially for you um i have a question like where do you go for yourself uh, for yourself to learn the like platforms you like to um check for out myself, no, um I think there are a couple of things. One is actually I'm following some of the people like working on NLP on Twitter. I think when some interesting work coming out, I kind of get to learn about them immediately on Twitter. 
and then I can follow up and read in more details, right? Another thing is also uh, in NLP, we have some of the top conferences. I basically look into the top conference papers and tutorials. Um, yeah, I think then in IBM, we also organize all kinds of talks, right? <laughs> I also attend different kinds of talks. Sometimes it's actually quite uh, interesting, you know, maybe the topic may not be directly relevant to what I'm doing, but I feel it, it's actually very helpful for me to learn about broader topics and then think about the connection, whether, you know, there's technique I can use, or maybe I can help with this person, right? Like we can have some interesting collaboration. Yeah, I, I would say really all these uh, weak ties, right? Like yeah. the weak ties is the best way to gather information. Um, I, I would say another way, like as the industry research researcher, I have unique advantages. I learn about real world problems from our customers and from our development product team. Uh, that's something, you know, not everyone has the advantage or access to those kind of information. I think that really helped me a lot in terms of thinking about unlimited problem I can explore, right? For example, in NLP, which ones I want to focus on? Mm -hmm. What are the biggest challenge I want to tackle, right? If I think about a user, what kind of user really matters the most, right? Or who needed the help the most? Yeah, so those are the kind of uh, way where I learn about new problem to solve or try to, you know, think about the um, grow my current uh, research agenda, what are the directions I want to go. Where do you think is it, is it going to go? Like, I mean, like you just mentioned, okay, like you want to know which user is going to be using at the end of services. What do you see as the next trend? I would say the next trend is to make the technology be accessible and responsive as possible to line of business users, right? So when we think about deploy AI in enterprise or in, you know, in schools, in organizations. Eventually the users are people who actually heavily involved in the business process itself. So how can we enable them to be able to build new kinds of, uh, let's say, for example, NLP applications, or how do we enable them to provide feedback in a way that can improve the current uh, capabilities we build for them. So for example, um, in the past few years, we worked together with Watson Discovery on contract understanding. So giving a contract, we want to say, hey, this, this particular clause indicates obligation, this particular clause indicates exclusion, and so on. Um, so we, we build our automatic model, right? And then the, the whole point is try to help a legal professional to go through contract more efficiently more and more accurately. But imagine every single organization have different definition of the different clauses, right? To give you a simple example, a clause about trademark in general is a clause related to intellectual property. But in certain organizations, they may want to treat them differently. They want to highlight the trademark and then different uh, from all the other clauses related to intellectual property. So how can I build one model with the initial understanding to say trademark is part of intellectual property and adapt it to recognize, oh, this customer want to treat them differently. 
without actually understand, I need to train the model, I need to deploy the model in a certain way, right? So I need to design a mechanism so that the user can provide feedback, and that feedback is taken into consideration as soon as possible and as automatically, as easily as possible by the backend uh, um, system to take it into consideration. I would say that's the most uh, challenging and interesting part. Enable people who are actually using what we are building and uh, help let them help us build a better system for them. Yeah, and make it like easy to, to access, right? Like so many people are absolutely experts in their domain, but just like don't know how to use the tooling. So I think yeah, it's always, always exactly. a struggle. Exactly. So, so for example, another thing we're trying to work on is, let's say we, we talk about this um, unconscious bias, right? As I, let's say I'm an HR um, person, right? I post a job. Of course, I want to be able to understand whether my job posting can be improved or not, right? So think about an AI system that tells you, oh, maybe when you use this wording, it can be viewed as, um, um, you know, biased towards male or female, right? Like, it's just a suggestion, but it should be still useful for me as a, as a person now. But the suggestion could also be wrong, right? Because the system was built for a general domain. Maybe it does not understand the some wording or particular style of the domain I'm working on. So how can I tell the system, oh no, this is incorrect, right? Then imagine if this, the backend system can actually take your suggestion, your feedback into consideration, and next time when you do something similar, it will not make the same mistake again. So behind the scenes, doing a lot of learning, right? But from you as an end user, right? You don't know, you only tell, it's almost like you're working with an expert, right? An expert help you do it, proofreading, provide suggestions, but the expert can make a mistake because that, that expert is not an HR expert, right? So now as an HR expert, I tell you, no, this is not the right thing. Like I don't, this is not a mistake. Next time, that person will not tell you something similar. Right? So the machine is basically is able to learn from the human without actually letting the human think about it. This is a let's say a labeling task, right? It's just a feedback, and then somehow the feedback is taken into consideration in an intelligent way by the backend system. Uh, so that's really a lot of our work is focused on. How can we enable that to happen? We want to do as much of the hard work as possible so that when users give us feedback, we can be very responsive to that feedback. Love that. I mean, that's the key, honestly. Like, because like every time, like, there are so many experts in specific areas and we just like can leverage them and actually use their knowledge in like that kind of way. It would be absolutely an improvement in all the toolings. Right, exactly. And also you don't want them to provide feedback all the time, right? <laughs> so it becomes very annoying. So it, it's actually, it, it's really an interdisciplinary problem. Like it's not just uh, NLP, it's not just, uh, you know, hybrid cloud, it's not just human computer interaction. We need everything go together. We need to understand the business process. What is that natural, unintrusive way to ask for feedback and incorporate feedback. Love it. 
So I want to know a little bit more about the IBM research life. <laughs> like, how does it work? Like, how do you like, just explain a day of your life? Maybe we start. Okay, sure. Um, before I explain a day, let me first start with kind of explaining the overall experience I had at IBM Research, right? I started uh, as an intern. I actually did two summer intern in IBM Research. That was really convinced me that IBM Research is the right place to go. My first impression as a research intern was, this is just like graduate school, except you know, I have uh, more adults to <laughs> discuss with. We have uh, experts of pretty much everything you can think about. And then we also got more interesting problems to solve without having to imagine ones because there are so many real world problems that we have to solve. And yeah, I would say really people, right? The best people I can work with, the project. And then, you know, the environment, the overall very supportive system, um, especially, you know, as a, a female graduate student at that time, it's really refreshing to say, oh, we have a lab director who was a female, we have a CEO who is a female, right? You kind of know, okay, probably there is no limit to whatever I can achieve in this company just based on my gender, right? Yeah. Um, then in terms of a day of my life, I would say changes uh, over the years. Um, I mean, both because of the nature of the work as well as my uh, family schedule changes. But in general, for me, I would say I don't believe in work-life balance because it kind of put work and life in on opposite sides, right? So I believe work is part of life. So I think I believe in work-life integration. So when I think about my day, I really want to think about my priorities, right? Um, so I started a, a habit recently. Every day, wake up in the morning, actually write a very short reflection of what happens yesterday, what my focus uh, of today. And then my focus really achieves the most important goals of my day, every day. Um, and then making sure, you know, on my calendar, right, all the things I'm doing really reflect my priorities. Um, so for example, my, I, I would say like my priority have a few different dimensions, right? First dimension is personally health. Yeah. So I will ensure every day I got enough sleep, I got enough exercise. That's like the pillar of everything, right? Like if I don't have a healthy body and mind, I cannot do anything else. Then, you know, also my family, I need to think about, I need to carve out time for spending time with my son and also with my husband, right? And But that, you know, it's a time I can manage because I know when my son go to school and when he come back and what is the time in between what I need to do. Then mm -hmm. my work, right? And then I think the priority of my work changes over time. I would say right now as a senior research manager, my priority, first and foremost priority is to support my team to ensure they have the right priority and their project has the right visibility within and outside of the IBM and also have the right impact within and outside of IBM. So in order to do that, I basically need to 
have contact with different stakeholders and understand, you know, what their opinion about what we're working on and what their plan, how do we align things together so that we work on the most impactful work. And also keep on growing my own technical credential, right? Technical eminence internally and externally. So I have some, you know, this kind of go. And then every, every day I will try to focus on no more than three items along with those goals. And once we finish those three, you know, I may have meetings, I may have many other things, um, but I feel good about myself for that day, right? I achieve, you know, my main goals. Um, yeah, and then uh, another part is also grow the team. Think about the individual, like how do I help my team member? How do I support them so that they really work in a way that they can be at the very best version of themselves, right? So I also do a lot of coaching with my team, my managers, and also mentoring some of the people you know, within and outside of IBM, or even you know, talking with you, because this aligns with my goal. One of the things I care about is the next generation and also the diversity of the area we're working on, right? So I think even if, you know, for example, our conversation today impact one person, that's already a success to me. <laughs> no, absolutely right. And I mean, like, I like it that you like, manage it. And I like the, the thing that you say, like, three points. Because that's all, like, if you put too much pressure on yourself to achieve too many, it just, like, it's a mental game at the end. Because you, like, put yourself under so much pressure. And I like the three. I, I might start that, too. I'm really inspired right now. So, like, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> especially like talking from a research perspective um, manager side like what do you think is really maybe challenging and also like kind of the fun perspective uh for management mm -hmm. uh, actually i enjoy management a lot um i i found you know i, I mean you, if you look at all my education right i somehow interested in the technology side and then i'm interested in human society business side i think Become a manager really gives me the opportunity to form a vision and be able to deliver that vision because I would not be able to do that as an individual, right? So I'm, a, I'm someone who kind of can connect dots. You know, when I go to a talk, even though it may be very remotely related to what I'm doing, somehow I can imagine how can I work with this person? How can I label this? When they have this this problem, like the client come over to talk about a very specific business problem, I found myself very good at abstract that problem to think about, hey, when we have when we solve this research problem, we can help this kind of client. So I think once I discover my strengths of be able to connect dots and uh, create high level abstraction, I think become a manager really helped me a lot because now I can form a vision, I can form a bigger project, and then I can rally people around and getting everyone working on things that last four years, right? So for example, if we look at the other projects in my team, all of them last five or even 10 years or even longer. You know, it, it really takes a special kind of, I wouldn't say like, I'm special, everybody's special, right? But people is special in very different way. But this is the type of things I find I'm very good at. Like I enjoy 
form a vision and then kind of build around it and making things interconnected. Um, and also I'm not burdened by working on like keeping track of different dimensions because some people find it very troublesome. Like some people really want to go very deep on solving one problem. Like we need that kind of person. Like we definitely need that kind of person. But I feel I'm that person have lots of interest. Like I can go deep maybe in one dimension, but maybe I'm better at go deep in one dimension, but also connect all the dots together to actually solve a very hard problem that could not be solved otherwise. Yeah, that's amazing because that's that's what I think is the beauty in AI as well, right? You can be, you can say like, no, this is like what I'm going to focus on right now. But like, there's so many spectrums when you talk, think about it, right? There's so much which you can detail in and focus on that problem and then hopefully yeah. solve it right and i think like that's something people need to know like especially like you say like okay now you are totally interested in the whole automation processes but the other people is as you just said like no i want to go deep in there and i love that and i think like that's absolutely amazing and um yeah yeah and it's very interesting you know how do we work with those work with that kind of person so that they work on the right problem they can go deep and that problem, because it's a build under a larger umbrella, the impact of what they're working on can be much more significant than just solving that one individual problem, right? Yeah. I think another thing I really enjoy as a manager, really be able to help people grow. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I love working with people, you know, um, when I was a graduate student, I really benefited greatly from my advisor and also my mentors. I feel when I become a manager, it's really not so much of management. I would say it's more about how can we create a culture, a system where people can really survive and self-motivated working on the things that they care about, right? Uh, And then my main task as a manager become more about coaching. You know, how do I coach them so that they can work more productively? How do I help them identify dimensions where they can grow further? How can I help them identify places where they need my support? So for example, it could be one person certainly realize their goal is to become STSM at some point, right? Then as a manager, my responsibility is to understand what that means. In order for this person to become STSM, what this person need to achieve, and then I will basically talk to this person on a regular basis and say, okay, here are the number of things you need to pay attention to so that at the right time, you may be able to achieve your goals. I, I find I'm, I really enjoy the process of helping other people grow. I, I, it's also helped myself grow as well. Love that. And I think like, especially when you think about culture, I think we have to say that we are extremely lucky that we have the IBM culture because like, just like this interview for example, like got together because we were just like connecting with another colleague of us. And it's just like, just such a welcoming culture that then drives up to just like perform better because we don't need to re-ask everything for a favor or like for information so we, that you just like can communicate in the right way and then it's a information sharing culture we do drive in IBM and I think like choosing a company when you end up working it's so important that you ask about the culture 
Yeah, I completely agree. I think really the culture is what makes your day happy or not, right? Because there are always the things to learn, like the technology changing fast, right? The business world changing fast. Um, but being a culture where you are giving the opportunity and the room to grow and you don't need to worry too much about, you know, when you talk to someone, what this people will say behind your back. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, in, yeah, I, I think this really what um, make me want to join IBM, you know, from my internship. It just feel like a graduate school. Everybody's so friendly, whether, you know, it's an ACM fellow, right, our lab director or another intern. It's just, everybody seems to be quite equal and uh, open-minded. Yeah, it's always like a you right away and like, yeah, let's join. Let's set up a call. We discuss it and I explain it to you. It's always just friendly. I don't know. I'm like, feel so, it's a small family, which is actually like we are massive, but it's still like yeah. you're still connected. And I love that. Yeah, I love exactly. That. You kind of feel very comfortable to ha ask for anything from anyone, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, it's, it's the best. I'm like, I'm, I'm really happy that I chose IBM. And I'm like, I chose it back then because we had Jeannie Rometty as a CEO. And as mm -hmm. earlier, I was like, if, if a woman is literally leading this company, that means a lot what they're representing. And yeah, I exactly, yeah. exactly. And also think about, for example, in IBM research, right, we also have work on AI for social goods and as a company, we have a lot of program really focused on those things, right? I think, uh, you know, not every company is doing the same. Um, and, and also as a, as a female employee, right, I feel there are lots of, uh, intention from the corporate try to provide a better growth pathway for female employees um that's also not something every every company has yeah 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 i mean like this is this tool in this format we have right now is kind of like the perfect example i'm doing this off work but yet i'm getting supported and getting full support from ibm marketing from my manager who says like this is so cool. And he kind of like started the idea that I should do this. So it's like, that's, that is like such a welcoming and kind of like conf confirming and like just warm way of how you should work. Right. And I love it. I'm like, <laughs> I, like that. I never had so much learning in my whole life. So that is something I'm absolutely. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I think it's an interesting culture where everyone feel free to challenge everyone else, but also everyone is getting help from yeah. other people, right? So it really helps you grow because you don't feel uncomfortable challenging other people, asking questions. So for example, in IBM Amazon, when we interview candidates, I always have to warn them in advance. Yeah. We're gonna ask a lot of questions, not because we don't like your work, it's because we're really truly curious about your work. Yeah. Um, and, and you can see a lot of candidates can see the difference in many other places, even, you know, myself included. When I interview at other research labs, after my talk, I barely get any question, right? You always wonder, hey, what's going on? Nobody interested in my work or I'm doing a perfect presentation, right? But in Amazon, you know, you cannot get interrupted from the very beginning. People question you from the beginning. Uh, it takes some time to get used to it, but you kind of, this is a way how you learn, right? Like how, how do you feel comfortable, try to understand different aspects. Um, yeah, and then the same way of uh, 
people try to, if you want to get the resources, right? Like for example, if I'm working on NLP, but I want to get some people help on HCI side or computer vision side, it's just an email away or a Slack away. Yeah. Um, like talking about like that, what is like an advice you would give to a person who's just like started in a company and like doesn't know yet what to do? I would say whether, I, I would say this apply probably to everyone, even for graduate students or even for senior undergraduate, find a mentor. I, I would say that's the number one advice I would give to people. And, and this one, um, personally, I have many because I feel mentor is someone who can help you recognize your strengths when you cannot. Um, so for example, if you go to a new place, right? Like even in graduate school, you know, you may have some concerns or questions. You can ask your advisor, but sometimes you may feel uncomfortable asking certain questions, right? Like for example, um, some of the graduate students may be worried about whether I should go to industry or go to academia. And they may worry about if they talk about going to industry to the advisor, they are going to be treated differently by the advisor. And, and this is actually based on a, <clears throat> a study done by a Canadian government. So it, it's a, there is some unconscious bias in academia um, about students who inquiry about careers in industry. Um, so it, it may not apply to every single person, right? But this is like overall statistics. But those kind of things, right? If you have a mentor, you will be very comfortable asking that mentor. And you also get a different perspective. It's always good to get a different perspective and find out your own answer, right? I would say that's basically the number one advice I would give to anyone, whether you are new or even senior right if you don't have a mentor at this point find one <laughs> gotta do it no i think the same like a mentor just like especially when it comes for example for career decision as you mentioned with the university right and we have that issue that i don't know, issue but like people are graduating every time like younger right they're graduating younger and they have to make really big decisions at a young age and I'm, if I look at myself, I took my time, you know, like I took a year off after high school because like that's a thing in Germany, like nobody's going to university directly. So you travel and you do that and you go to university and then you end up somewhere, you do an internship and then they take you. <laughs> and it's, it's for me kind of like if I have to choose a like a profession at the age of 22, that would scare me. That would literally just scare me because I wouldn't know who I am by 22. Right, right. And um, I think like in that perspective of a mentor, but like, how do you choose the right one when you're that young and you have no idea? Like, how do you, how would you reach out to someone? Do you look at LinkedIn or how would you do it? Um, so when I found, for my first mentor, I actually found this through a, a website called a MentorNet. So Thanks. it's a, like a, yeah, so where they can match the student with the um, mentor sign up through the website. But I think if I'm doing it right now, if I don't have this kind of uh, structure, right? The way I would do it is really think about who I potentially want to become, right? Maybe not completely exactly the same, but at least some aspect I feel I'm interested in learning. 
yeah, I think I would just reach out to that person through LinkedIn and uh, it's, right now we're in pandemic, right? It's actually very easy <laughs> to get touch with anyone. You know, it can be across the globe. Um, yeah, so you can just say, hey, I'm so-and-so, I'm interested in learning more about, for example, right, like careers in industry about NLP, right? Then can we set up a half an hour call? I think most people would be willing to say yes. Then after the first call, right, you can kind of form some opinion about whether this person can be your mentor in a long term, right? If so, maybe you can say, hey, um, I really enjoy our conversation. Can we set up uh, maybe a quarterly call, right? Uh, again, it's only like two hours per year, right? It's not a, a lot of ask. I think a lot of people would be willing to say yes. And uh, also in between, if you really have very specific questions you want to ask, you can also ask your mentor by email. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the mentor is not necessarily solve all your problems, right? I mean, a lot of problems we really haven't solved ourselves, but what the mentor is able to provide is more experience or even different experience, right? You could have like, you know, for me, for example, I could have a, a mentor who is the junior than me, right? But this person can provide different perspective and really provide additional information and questions for you to think about what's the right solution for your problem. Yeah. Uh, another thing is, um, this kind of weak tie, right, can also find you additional opportunities, right? Um, I mean, it's very well known. Strong ties are very important from emotional point of view, but weak ties are very important from information point of view. So for example, think about if you want to do, like, let's say if Kim want to reach out to someone working on, AI enterprise, right? So you may not know someone directly yourself, but asking you in your weekly relationship, chances are 99% of the time you will find that one person, right? Because yeah. of the six degrees of separation. Yeah, yeah. so I, I think this basically the two advantages. Uh, even for younger students, right? Think about, for example, even if you are high school student as an example, which major to pick. There are a lot of information you can find online, but at the same time, it's always uh, good to get some personalized advice, right? So I, yeah, I would encourage everyone to find a mentor. It can even be peer mentoring. It can be someone who in similar grade as you, similar situation, um, and still be able to provide you additional input. Yeah, because at the end, it's important to just talk about it at the end, right? If you have an issue, or just like speak it out, have a different perspective, as you said, is crucial. Like yeah. having someone to like share the emotions and your story with is key at the end, because otherwise like you will get stuck. Cry, cry, yeah. Definitely. Okay, I have one more question for you. And it's like one of my ending questions. And I mean, like okay. I had so much fun, but like, what is your favorite app? On your phone right now my favorite app um i will say slack <laughs> <laughs> talking about information yes um i think i use slack actually in a few different ways so i'm like i 
I like to adapt uh, technology for my own usage, right? Um, so I use Slack, I would say in two different ways. One is similar to how we use, use it on desktop, right? Where you can look at thread, uh, then you can also have this one-on-one uh, -on -one conversation. Um, but on my phone, it serves two purposes. One is I always tell people, right, if you have anything that is urgent and it's for my team, uh, pin me on Slack because then I will get a notification on my on my watch. And then I will, because I'm not going to check my email all the time, but then if there's an urgent request, I can check my Slack and then I can react immediately. And another thing is um, I use Slack kind of uh, almost like, replacement of uh, Evernote to a certain extent. I use Slack, I create a Slack channel for myself. Mm -hmm. So I create a Slack channel, you know, to keep in my morning planning notes, right? So uh, then it's all there. I also use some symbol kind of uh, show, oh, this is a good day from work point of view, good day from family point of view. So I kind of use that. So it's very obvious to say, hey, what my past week looks like. So it's very easy to do that on my phone, right? I can do that at any time. Um, yeah. That's so, so good. That's a good advice. I got to do that too. That's really good. I'm like, just like, okay, what do I need to do? I use Trello a lot for that, for example. I, I also yeah. use Trello. Yeah. 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 So to just like, I have kind of organize to do's and all that stuff. Um, but that's a good idea, especially if you can just like do it on your way, right? When you're, or you, I'm not using Trello on my phone. I don't even think that's like <laughs> tiny, um, but that's a good idea. I want to keep that in mind. Slack people, for everyone who's listening, get yourself. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, where can people reach you? Is that um, something you want to share or you want to talk about? Yeah, so they can follow, you know, they can follow me on Twitter. <laughs> My what, Twitter, what is your Twitter handle? Yeah. My Twitter handle is the Y-U-N-Y-A-O underscore L-I. Based on my, oh, your name. Yeah. <laughs> my, my last name. Yeah. Um, and then they can also um, join you know, my network on LinkedIn. So they can search me based on my name. Um, and then you know, I also have my personal website. They can look into my personal website as well. Yeah. Perfect. And we're going to put that all in the show notes. So people can can check it out and read it all. Thank you so much for this interview. It was an absolute blast. I had so much fun. I sadly have to look at the time because <laughs> 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 gotta make sure like it's not too long for the listeners. And um, I mean, I hope I can like interview one at one day again to like make a little recap in half a year or something to just like talk about the newest inventions you have. And, yeah, I will um, be happy to, you know, yeah. I think next time I will also tell you, you know, all the things I have learning over the past one year. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I wish you a fantastic day. I mean, it's pretty early in the West Coast and uh, all, all good start for today and have a fantastic day. You too. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Nice, very nice talking to you and thank you for this great initiative. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye, okay. everyone. Bye. Bye.